everybody, and welcome back to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balecki, talk to writers who have been recommended to me by writers who have been previously on the show. For instance, Never Angeline North, who I talked to a few months ago, recommended I talk to this month's guest, Jackie S., and I acquiesced, and here we are, talking to Jackie about her debut novel, Daryl. Jackie S. is a writer, cultural mischief maker, and minor internet celebrity, as we all are now, a co-founder of the Bay Area Trans Writers Workshop. Her work can be found in Heavy Feather Review, The Zaheer, The New Inquiry, Vetch, and the anthology We Want It All, an anthology of radical trans poetics. Daryl is her first novel. You can find her on Twitter at Jackie underscore ESS. Now before we get into the conversation proper, I gotta beg you for some money. You can go to patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe to help me out financially do the show. There's a $2, a $5, and a $10 level, each with their own perks outlined on the website. That website again is patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. If a one-time donation is more your thing, paypal.me slash noisemakerjoe is a good place to do that. Now, without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Jackie. The first question I have, I think, is kind of maybe the most general question, is how how does a book like Daryl come to be? It's kind of got like the perfect sales pitch i think as far as like a quote-unquote transgressive indie lit sort of book can be it's got quite the uh the elevator pitch to it but but where does that idea of daryl come from well there's a few things about it i mean one thing i would say is that i started writing this book in 2016 Mm -hmm. and you know and i kicked it around for a long time it's not like i wrote for five years like if i wrote for five years it's it should be way better or way longer or something, you know, like that, I would be really sad. But I mean, I, and I like the book, you know, but I mean, I think that some of the reason why it has this weird kind of polish to it in a way, and it has that kind of elevator pitch element, is that I wrote it and rewrote it and kept refining it. Um, and so it would, you know, I, I wrote it and let it sit for a year and come back to it and so on. And so maybe part of the reason why it it, I, it sells is that I felt like I had to sell it, you know, like I felt like when I was sending this to a publisher, I was thinking that reader just as much as any other reader, you need to be in on page one. And, mm-hmm. and I really, um, I have a very kind of, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm very crass and commercial in a lot of ways, <laughs> uh, you know, like for, for an indie writer, I feel feel kind of bad about it, but I, I really, you know, because I, like a lot of my friends are like much more experimental and they're much more like, I want the reader to trust me and to read something that maybe like start in something kind of painful or start in something kind of slow or start in something kind of disorienting. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I yeah. want to do something where I basically say like, you know, to me, the best critic is not the critic with the degree. The best critic is... The person's you know heart and, and and who just says like you know a person who picks up your book and puts it down like they have an opinion they're not going to express that opinion they're not going to explain that opinion um but that's a person who who i wanted to reach and so um you know i'll see if i can do it again i, I mean one thing i would say is also is that like as far as a like, process is concerned i don't like what i did with daryl is not sustainable for anybody, not for me, you know, like, yeah. the, I mean, the concept that you're going to go let it simmer for a year, come back, etc. Um, so like, I'm writing another book right now. And I've got like, you know, like 40,000 words on it, I'm writing it in a completely different way. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I hope anybody likes it because it might, you know, it might be a little, a little different. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's one thing. But then, like, in terms of the origins of Daryl, like, I think the character, it comes out of the fact that, like, I like to do bad jokes. I'm a really, uh, I'm a really annoying person to date. And I was living with my partner at the time, Eugene, and uh, she started this, like, nature photos Instagram. And I was like, you know, like, and, like, no Freud, right? But I was like, oh, wouldn't it be so funny if somebody was like, saw your nature photos, like in particular, this photo of three trees, and was like, just reading this like insane Rorschach inkblot kind of stuff into it. Um, and the character just kind of spilled out from there. So I found I was like doing the character. I made a Twitter account for him. I kind of like doing this. I, I'm, I'm a little over it right now. But I like to kind of like method act on Twitter mm -hmm. and just like, make personas. Um, and I actually had a Daryl persona that the account was called Daryl to dream. And, uh, and it was really weird. Like I was writing these little monologues and like occasionally they would get picked up by like people who are actually in that lifestyle. Sometimes the account would interact with me, et cetera. Um, but as like the world started to open up, like as pretty much as soon as I had like the, you know, some idea of like, oh, right. Okay. So this is who Clive is going to be. I was like, okay, this isn't just like a character bit. Like this is the character who has a world who has a story, who needs to learn something. And I was like, this is it. This is the novel. I had abandoned a previous attempt at writing a novel that was like way more uh, in the kind of experimental sort of zone, um, maybe a year before. And I was like, okay, I, I stopped writing that because I just didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know like what I was trying to say, who I was saying it to. And I felt I didn't know my characters. But now I was like, oh, I know my characters and I like their world. And like, I can just kind of like sit down and like write a scene with whatever's off the top of my head and maybe it gets cut. But like I had was able to get to this place where I was like, I'll sit down, I'll write every day. And like a lot of the chapters are actually units of work, right? Like the reason, part of the reason the chapters are short um, is not because of some kind of critical insight that it's like, oh, that would be the best book to read. It was just because it was like, yeah, that's, that's, the, the period from 8.30 a.m. until 1.30 p.m. And then I bailed and, you know, went and tried to you know, meet people on Craigslist or whatever mm -hmm. else I was doing at that time. Yeah, it, it reads uh, like a journal a lot of the time. So that, that makes sense that it's sort of like units of work. There was somebody on, some writer, I don't know who was talking about how she was writing a a book that was sort of structured the same way as a journal more specifically where she would like say okay this chapter is going to be from 10 30 to noon so i'm gonna sit down at 10 30 a.m and like think about what a middle school girl would be doing right now at 10 30 a.m on a tuesday and write um and obviously it's not that structured but i also find it interesting what you said about the uh about abandoning an experimental work and getting kind of lost in it. I think because I, I have so many experimental writers on the show that that's a pitfall that, that I haven't really heard someone bring up before that. Like you just kind of like get lost because it's, you know, a muddy thing to do. Yeah. And I mean, it, it is possible to do it, you know, in a way that makes people fall in love with your characters, like in this kind of more experimental mode. But I mean, I do find that like, 
you know, like a book that kind of does this for me is um, Margaret Duras. Um, she said, destroy or destroy. She said, I don't know. I, I don't actually read this stuff in French, but um, the, the, and it takes place at this kind of like abstract sanatorium at the edge of the woods and people are sort of playing on each other's emotions and, um, you know, but I don't, I, I love that book and yet I don't remember the characters except for Max Thor. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Max Thor. Right. So, so you can write a character um, that actually, um, you know, whatever. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a scholar. I'm a dilettante. Right. But I, um, but, but you can, I think, write characters in a book that has that quality of like, you know, it's very empty at the center. It's very unclear what, if anything, is going on. Characters don't have to have motivation, development, uh, plot, et cetera. And you can do it and people can remember. But uh, it seems a lot harder than what I'm Sure. So, you know, respect to, to anybody that's, that's truly trying that. But I'm, yeah. Yeah, I suppose a lot of the experimental stuff I've read, especially for the show, has not been necessarily character-based in a traditional sense. It's been book-as-object book type stuff. But the... Um, I mean, the character of Daryl is is fascinating to me. I'm going to, to preface here, since we're still at the beginning, I'm about as vanilla as you can get um, when, it, when it comes to this type of stuff. So... A lot of my, I don't know, insights or qualms or theories are through the lens of a very vanilla person. But um, I, I found that my opinion of Daryl was not that he was a cuckold, but rather a gaslit victim of infidelity. Um, I don't know if that's the reading I should have took from it, but like pretty quick, I was like, I, I don't know if this is like, he says he likes some of this stuff. I'm not sure if he likes it as much as he does. Um, especially because his sort of understanding of what cuckolding is, is very different from what mine is. Um, again, as the most vanilla. Yeah. Well, I mean, let me, first of all, not, not in, incriminate you or anything like that, how you might have a, <laughs> any notion of, of what it is at all. But I, I don't think that, you know, you need to have all of the experiences that Daryl has to enjoy kind of or, or connect to his life. And I think that there's probably nobody who has all of the experiences that he has. Right. Um, and so I think that that's actually, for me, one of the things that made the book a little bit safer is that there's no sense that the book is like, the authoritative statement on the identity, the lifestyle, et cetera, because Daryl actually, you know, he kind of seems to realize the truth like every three pages and it just never holds. Mm -hmm. um, and so some of his truths have to do um, with the validity of a profoundly toxic view of, you know, very idealized masculine and feminine types, um, you know, getting hashed out real hard and, you know, and he's, whatever he's on his knees with a glass to the wall or whatever his version of the scene might be. Um, so I think that that's, uh, that's in there. Um, but I mean, other things that are in there are that he really does love these men and he really does kind of love like male camaraderie. Um, and I think that he has a confused relationship to it because he is not macho, but he loves machismo. Mm -hmm. right? And he talks about this a lot and it's, 
um, you know, and, and I mean, like, I, I put a little bit of myself into that, you know, like, I feel like I, I have had the same kind of experiences in a way, like when I was young, like, I, I think like the, the March Madness scene is probably the most autobiographical part mm. of the book, um, you know, because I like to hang out with like sports guys, you know, like when I was a, when I was a, a kid, you know, quite, quite often. Um, but, you know, that was never going to be, that was never going to be. Um, and so, I don't know, like, I, I actually like, so, so recently I was talking to like a, a TV person about this and I, and I was trying to explain the difference between the two Magic Mike movies. Have you watched those? I haven't, no. Oh, okay. All right. Well, let me, let me, um, let me skip the Magic Mike connection, but I, I, I think that there is a, there's, you know, in the space that opens between Magic Mike and Magic Mike XXL, the sequel, um, there's there's some sort of a lesson about narrative that I, I had to learn that, that's kind of in the book. Mm. Um, but um, but yeah, like with regards to Daryl being gaslit, I mean, I think that that is true in a very literal sense, uh, like as far as his relationship with Clive is concerned. You know, mm -hmm. Clive is throwing him diagnoses um, and with a lot of explicitness, diagnoses him with borderline personality disorder at some point in the book yeah um he does it in a joking way and he tells him you know you should go and read marshall linehan and he does and um and he gets something out of it um but he's being told this by a person who's actually manipulating him like in, in a very direct way and who's a real threat to the people around him um so so i think that that's all there at the same time i think that like to cast daryl as too much of a victim sort of misses something because he he has a lot of difficulty seeing the effects of his own actions like he doesn't really see how much he is directing um you know that there is this these scenes that are going on and there are these these kind of plays and it's like yes he is the most degraded character in the scene but he is also the director mm. um everything is unfolding according to a contract that that daryl has written um and this is um you know you see the same thing um like he's able to like in his relationship with satori i mean i'm being very free about spoilers and so on because like i don't believe in all of that but i, I feel maybe i'm maybe i'm fucking myself because somebody's gonna listen to this and they're like well i know how the book ends so whatever i'm not gonna read it now but um you know like he has this relationship that he really feels is saving his life um, with this this woman satori this kind of hippie uh who's uh you know she's she's supposed to her room is the room from the frank zappa song camarillo brillo i don't know i don't know if you, you can hear that in your head no i haven't you know? i haven't listened to frank zappa i'm missing all your references which is new to me <laughs> that's fun i normally um, i'm the one making the references that people don't get but um yeah this this book has everything i was into when i was 12 so it's gotta have frank zappa you know but um that but i i don't know um it does it so so but he meets this woman and he's like whoa like i was wrong about everything like mm -hmm. i actually you know i actually can be a man i actually love it and you're the only person who ever made me feel safe enough to to, to really try to do that and there's something really beautiful in that there's also something really twisted in it because he doesn't know this woman really at all yeah like he doesn't really understand who she is um and when we actually hear her speak it's usually to kind of set boundaries it's to say like she is um she's a person who has some kind of sex work involvement that is not clear to daryl he doesn't really understand it 
Um, he kind of wants to save her from it in a way that she finds completely obnoxious, uh, especially considering that he doesn't understand anything about it and mm-hmm. considering that he's not in much of a position to save anybody. Yeah. Um, so, you know, don't try to be, uh, you know, Captain Save a What Now, but, you know, he's he's in there and he's like, he sees her as a goddess. And, you know, pages before he sees Bill as Jesus and he sees Clive as a vampire and like he's he can see all of these people in these very idealized types um but how does that play out like he doesn't really understand this woman he's laying the goddess trip on her maybe to her he's a client you know or maybe not a client um like there's no indication in the book of any kind of money exchange or anything like that but there's a sense that you know you can have like a kind of like a light connection with somebody um where it's like you know if you're if you've got it like that, you know, like where you can say, like, I do live a comparatively kind of an open lifestyle. And I think that I can have, you know, relationships with a lot of people with good boundaries. And like, we can all be adults about it. And, and Daryl is more like somebody threw, you know, a little bit of good pussy his way, and he lost his goddamn mind. (laughs) And now he's going to put a hit on her boyfriend. Like, that's horrible. That's horrible. So he's, um, but he doesn't think of himself as doing anything, right? Like there's no, like Daryl's actions are very few in the book, according to Daryl, mm-hmm. even though all of, everything that is happening is orchestrated by him and everybody around him, he sees them as having these great intentions for him, these great archetypal existences, these great spiritual existences. And they don't really know um, that he thinks that even necessarily. And, he, and he, it breaks through a few paces, right? Like Mindy at some point says like, you know, for me, I'm just trying to have some good sex, like kind of break the rules and be a little naughty. And like, there's a sense of like, maybe it's kind of like a more of like a Cosmo cover kind of thing for her, right? Like just mm-hmm. spice it up, do some crazy shit. Like a lot of people like to do some crazy shit. Um, and, uh, you know, hooking up with this kind of like, you know, this big scary stuff might actually be pretty fun if you can do it in a way where it's like, wow, I can do that, but I also don't have to date him. Mm-hmm. You know, because Bill actually is a guy with a lot of problems. For one, yeah. like um, he's got a lot of problems paying rent. And for another, it's mentioned that he has some kind of psychological baggage. He's he's seen some shit and he um, he doesn't know himself in a lot of ways and he doesn't really form lasting relationships. And like, you know, and he's I think like I want it to really shine through the book that this is a really good guy, but he is not. Um, you know, he might he, he would be a hard person to have his partner. Um, and so the, the concept that it, you know, it sets up this kind of like this, this fetish lifestyle, whatever it's setting up this kind of safe zone for her to have the kind of sex that she wants with the kind of guy that she probably would not feel it was worthwhile to make a connection with, um, you know, just because of the other complications. Now I would say, well, the the complications you've got are pretty fucking complicated, but you know, that that's why most people don't do it. Mm But, um, but but I, I think that, you know, that's that's kind of the, the vibe, you know, for, for me. And but it's interesting that you mentioned this because like so I recently had to think about this because I was thinking about like, you know, trying to make at some point an adaptation of this. Um and if I make an ad- adaptation of it, like it's not so clear like where you want that to start. Um and I actually wrote tons of material where Daryl really was, you know uh kind of being betrayed and 
manipulated or not sure if he's being cheated on or whatever. Um, and I ended up cutting all of that. But like, there's probably like a, like a, you know, half the length of Daryl amount of stuff that I wrote before I kind of converged on like, no, I want the book to be really pared down, really, really pure. Daryl at his most, like you start, he's a true believer. You end, he's a true believer in exactly what he is. And, and like, that's what I wanted to do. But if I did this in another format or something like that, I think I would have to change that. Like I would think I would have mm -hmm. to show how does he get there? Um, and like, what are the other people's actual motivations, right? Because a book is like, um, you know, it's first person, it's written in this weird kind of journal tense that, um, and so we only have the world through Daryl's reports. And so I, I don't want to have that much doubt and kind of confusion about that. But, but actually his, his picture of everybody around him um, is profoundly wrong. Um, yeah. I, I found, I don't know if cute is the right word, but I found his, his middle-aged man misunderstandings of a lot of things to be f kind of cute, kind of like naively endearing in a sort of like OU sort of way, like him, if I'm remembering correctly, like going to the mush and just being like, oh, this is a little bit too feminist for me with like not any sort of definition of the word feminist in his mind that like I could understand at this point or um, him him seeing you know his trans friend is like recruiting him even though she's just sort of trying to help sort of thing um, lots of little things like like that or the fact that it's like two-thirds of the way through the book that he even like understands that bisexual is a thing um, yeah 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 like it's just it was fascinating to watch an awakening through the eyes of somebody who would have been what born born in the 80s in the late 70s sort of thing um yeah like mid 70s yeah i mean i was born in the mid 80s so okay funny. whereas you know someone like me born in 92 like anytime anybody says a word to me that i don't know i can go on the internet and figure it out to you know more or less degrees of trauma afterwards that like you know it seems like everybody or you know it's so easy to have sort of a, a working sociology degree when going about your own awakening these days whereas for daryl he's like really sort of taking any bits of information and then just applying it to what he already knows without you know, understanding so much all the time. Yeah, I mean, I really wanted that. And I think that's part of what makes his age for me. I mean, it's important in a few other ways, but I really like it makes me a little sad when people call Daryl an internet novel or something like that. Because mm -hmm. I'm just like, no, 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 no. Daryl like has an AOL email address or yeah. something like that. Like he's not allergic to the computer. He mentions that he uses forums. He even at some point has mentioned that he has seen 4chan and, and things like that but like it's not home for him it's not the natural first place to answer a question um so yeah absolutely but i, I mean also i think that he is not obsessed with words and labels in the way that we've really become mm -hmm. um i think that there was a tendency like within within queer kind of spaces um that as i was first finding them to sort of say like we should 
we should be moving away from, you know, from sort of excessive refinement and micro division, micro identity mm -hmm. uh, in labels and trying to instead, you know, assert whatever that label was supposed to free you to do. Why don't you just free yourself to do it right now? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and, I, and obviously this has its limits because there's like a real value to naming things and there's a real value uh, to making kind of like improvements in language, which, you know, really has improved. Like, you know, the shit that people, you know, could could call you on the street is like, that's a lot different now. It's, it's, and, uh, you know, and I, I actually like one of my kind of like contradictions that I don't really have an answer to is that I think that like at any point in time, like I'm in middle school and everybody's calling things gay because they're bad or something like that. Um, like, you know, you miss your shot on a basketball court, that's fucking gay, right? Like, and that was, that was like normal. Um, and I was not really the person who wanted to fight that. You know, I was the person who was like, eh, let's see the humor in it. Let's sort of understand that like, you know, even if we win this fight, we haven't really won anything else. And like, why make it about the language, et cetera. But you know what, now we don't say that and it is a bit better. And mm -hmm. so I have to wonder, like, maybe I'm supposed to be in the fight about language right now. Um, I'm certainly not, you know, like, I think that right now I'm a person who's pretty loose about language and, you know, certainly have wanted to write characters who are pretty loose about language. Um, partly, you know, I think it's like I wanted to write a book that could reach people that sort of share my attitude about that. And, and they might not know that they share my attitude. I mean, I think a lot of people see me and they're like, aha, so, you know, black trans kind of city city kid kind of college -y, you know like you you are expecting that you're going to get the lecture from me of like this is why you cannot possibly use the term non-binary when you meet you know and it's just like that's not really what i uh i want to do um but but anyway so I, I wanted to write a book that does identity like completely outside of those conversations um and tries to show it in a like the first thought was maybe in like a really naked way. And I thought, no, it can't be in a naked way because you can't think about this stuff and not encounter sort of the contemporary articulation. And so he encounters it with a kind of like uncomprehending sympathy, you know, like he wants to understand, he wants to be down with it. And he thinks like, yeah, I mean, like I can't be part of that. At some point he actually says like something along the lines of like, I would probably call myself genderqueer if I was 25 years younger, mm -hmm. which is like, an amazingly sad statement because it's like, oh my God, like, so, so just do it. Just call yourself that now. Like it would be, you know, like nobody would stop you. Like, you know, but, uh, you know, but there's this sense that he has that like, there is some kind of like a, a harshness um, to contemporary identity language that he feels would destroy him. And I think actually a lot of people are sort of stuck in that place where it does kind of hurt. And especially for somebody like Daryl who, he says that he crumples, you know, in response, like he hyper identifies with people and he falls apart when he's afraid of losing them. And, and he does this over and over again. So how would it go for him uh, to go on Twitter and have like a, you know, an argument about uh, trans issues, a thing that I who have all the, you know, sort of, I don't know, authority invested by my identity or something to do so. I don't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, it's because it, 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 it goes a little hard, um, you know, and everybody's holding on to something that's really close to their heart and like maybe for very good reasons, but like, I don't want those fights. Um, so 
but anyway, but yeah, but he speaks very out of turn. Um, and I think that like, I wanted that. I mean, the other reason that I wanted that was because when I started writing this, I was coming out of like this trans literature scene. And I feel like right now, a lot of people are talking about trans literature because basically it takes like five years or longer, you know, to write anything decent, you know, like if you're kind mm. of becoming a writer, like it just, it takes forever. And so you got to just be a writer the whole time and, and it hurts, and, you know, but, but eventually you get something that, that you feel a little bit more satisfied with, hopefully. But like, so a lot of the, the kind of like veterans of this particular period around like 2013 to 15 or something like that, we've all got books coming out. And so everybody's saying like, okay, well, so what was it really like to like hang around with like Topside Press or something? Like, Nothing, you know, it's, it's fine. But like there, there was this, there was a real frustration in that moment where there was this sense of like, oh my God, maybe everything that I write is going to be interpreted as like the statement of like the, I'm going to have to be the voice of black trans issues or something like that. And I was like, fuck no, this is not, you need to, you need to get somebody about like 10 shades darker and about a hundred shades more down than I am to tell that story. But really what you need is to not make one person a spokesman, right? And just to say, like, let a lot of people talk and just listen for what you think is true, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that that is, um, but, but I, I really didn't want that. And so I was like, I was like catastrophically afraid, you know, I think at that period, that was part of why I was doing this experimental writing, et cetera. I was like, how can I write kind of like out of my kind of like identity voice? And I realized that I was like, oh, let me write from the perspective of somebody who has no fucking, like who has no past at all in this conversation. I am burned, and, and it, it was very aggressive. Like, I was like, I am burning my past publicly. Um, I can, you know, even though I can use this word, I'm not going to, and I'm going to present you with the voice of somebody who you has no right, you know, and, and you know, and kind of bring him in. Um, and I think that for me, that was a way of getting a little bit closer to the truth, I hope. Um, like hope, I mean, you know, it's also just a little bit of mischief, you know, like it's mm -hmm. also just a little bit of uh, being, a, being a little bit of a, uh, an impish troll. I probably more of an imp than a troll, but like um, the, but I, I wanted to, to get in there. Um, and so that was, um, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's kind of like how Daryl gets to the position that he has. My next book is in a way similar. I mean, you know, like it follows again, a person who's not me, you know, um, and, you know, it follows a guy who's, you know, 25, he's a quarter black passing for white in the Bay Area. He's a, you know, he's a yoga teacher, among other things. And, you know, it's like, you know, again, this is not, this is not, you know, who I am. And this is not necessarily who has a, an exact, like, right to speak. And like, he has, you know, in this, in this new book, I mean, he has a relationship at some point with a trans woman that's um it's again it's like I, I feel like we we need to see ourselves from the outside like we actually have to do that and um and i i know that i'm not alone in this like i i think of like you know uh I, this is some real high horse shit because i'm about mm -hmm. to compare myself to james baldwin and i'm i'm not i'm not on that level you know but like james baldwin like didn't write about love between black gay men until the end of his life, right? That is his last book, um, you know, just above my head, kind of has some of that. But like, ultimately, there is a sense that like, we need to understand the world that we're in in a more total way. 
And in some sense, the ability to step out of your perspective and be on the outside looking in um, while carrying your perspective. Um, but the only way that you carry your perspective is just as your as your insight, you know, as the decisions that you make as, the, you know, in the story, whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, what you can only show what your characters can really see. And in some ways, I think this is kind of like, it's a human challenge that kind of interests me. Because at some level, I, I don't want to say, you have to have lived my life to hear my story. If that's true, then I'm fucked. <laughs> because not a lot of people have lived my particular life. And uh, if I'm limiting myself to that conversation, like, I don't know what I'm doing, right? And so I wanted to say, like, let me see if I can step in a compassionate way into a, a misunderstanding position. Somebody looks staring through the window of, of, of my world in a lot of ways uh, and kind of capture that. So that was, that was Daryl. Yeah. I, I, I like the... Um... I don't know. I, I kind of agree with your position an awful lot in that, um, you know, I, I want to use books to expand my understanding of the world and, you know, the people in it. And, you know, my, my experience with any any sort of trans literature is entirely documented on this show um you know probably to my detriment but like um you know there's there's questions and notions and ideas that like i don't even know i have and if i do not like i know i don't know how to articulate them as is evidenced now <laughs> but um Daryl was was really useful to me um, from the perspective of him being, you know, even more outside than I am. You know, I'm at least on Twitter. I at least have access to YouTube. You know, I, thanks to YouTube, know what MoGuy is and, and have a good, you know, example of an argument for and against that sort of thing. Um, but, like, his sort of gender quest throughout the book um was interesting to me in that um societally i feel like when we put a lot of emphasis on one particular type of journey or spectrum of journeys we forget other ones or don't hold them up and like the idea of a man questioning his his gender and then like coming basically just becoming comfortable with it rather than like redefining it over and over and over and then refining it um you know with the exception that if he was 25 years younger he would probably be using different labels and maybe would end up in a different place or with a different understanding um but like i find that um quite useful um, maybe even for people who like don't get it and don't want to get it, you know, where mm -hmm. like, oh, you know what, tight pants are like, maybe people just feel nice wearing tight pants, sort of thing. I don't know if that made any sense at all. That makes absolute sense. I mean, I think that I this is an area where it's important for me that people find ways to be brave 
And I don't know that the, I don't know that like Twitter and so on really helps with that in a lot of ways. Like Twitter is really wonderful for like finding, finding out that something exists, finding your people in some way, um, finding the others as, to, as Tim Leary used to say, but like it is also a place where it feels like the stakes of getting it wrong are a little bit too high. Mm-hmm. And I think that like one of the things that I wanted here is that like, and, and, and I mean, maybe I would also say it's a little bit adversarial. Like there's a lot of like men equals bad stuff out there. And I really like, I love men. I don't have that problem. I, I mean, you know, and so I kind of wanted to have something that could have a man who who feels pulled to the outside of that and who feels not only things tugging on him, feels things disintegrating and feels just a desire to explore and who isn't, he's actually in a way, he's very brave because the thing that he does that almost nobody does is that when he's like, maybe I would feel a bit different if I was a little bit more feminine in my body in some way. What if I moved differently or something like that? But he does it same day. That's not how most people work. I mean, most people have the, the passing thought and it's a kind of like a misery which may nag at them for months or years or something like that because it seems kind of scary. Like it seems kind of scary to sort of, um, you know, bring things up with people, especially with the fear that they're gonna get heavily overinterpreted. Um, you know, like that's hanging over the book the whole time, you know, and he doesn't, he's not trying to, you know, make the big announcement, aha, I've realized I'm actually gay. Aha, I've realized I'm actually trans or whatever. I realized, but he's, he's not doing that, but he just wants to kind of like, he's detected this kind of dysphoric feeling, right? Like one of the things that he talks about is that he feels much too connected to what he sees as sort of like an evil in masculinity. And he talks about Don Giovanni, you know, Don Giovanni is a rapist, mm-hmm. right? And this is what Kierkegaard is writing about when he, when he writes about Don Giovanni, you know, dires, dire of a seducer and so on um, that like, this is, there is a very heavy sense that you can take up of like, oh, what am I, what am I really a part of here? And he experiences his connection to that masculinity and he experiences his own masculine body as essentially a defilement. He talks about wanting to wash it off. He gets in the shower and wishes it would come off of him. And this is an experience that is very hard to look at dead on because if you admit that you feel it that much, then it's like, do I need to change? I think the answer is no, actually. Like, I think the answer is like, we need to, to you know, uh, kind of reach the end of the night with our feelings. And we, we just need to actually not be quite as frightened or as, as panicked about, you know, what those things might mean. Um, and, and somehow I wanted to offer that in a spirit of sympathy and in a sense that like, Daryl actually has some stuff that he's right about, you know, like he pushes back on Uthun and he obviously is heavily over-interpreting her. I mean, like, this is based on some real experiences that I would have with, like, you know, a guy would hit me up, and then he would keep sending me messages when he was drunk, blah, 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 gender, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then like, he would get sober, and he would be angry at me, and he's like, no, Jackie, I'm not going to transition, no matter what you say. I didn't tell you to do anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't even ask to talk about it. I thought I was being nice, you know, that, that we were talking about it, you know? Um, and, you know, there is this thing where people don't have, it's hard to take responsibility for your desire. It's hard to take responsibility for your own confusion and like the things that carry you out of yourself. Um, and Daryl 
you know, he does a half-assed job at it, but I think in an interesting way, um, and in some ways, an incredibly brave way. Like, he is able to go to the point of, like, huh, like, well, I wonder what, you know, receptive anal sex would be like. I don't know. Maybe I'll try it. And he tries it. And, you know, the way that he describes it, he doesn't like it very much. Yeah. He describes, like, there's one scene where he talks about it, and he says, well, the, the actual physical act was a little bit like going to the dentist. I felt like I was bracing myself the whole time, but, you know, like, it just felt like the right thing. Um, and I felt like there was, um, you know, like, I wanted to represent that kind of experience and that kind of anxiety, which is, I think, how a lot of people have experienced sex of all kinds, you know. Mm. Um, and maybe it begins to sound like he does figure out how to enjoy it you know after a few more times or something like that um but his willingness to be like well you know let's let's see what happens and also let's accept that there are some real contradictions here right like he's he feels that it is absolutely right somehow for him to be in this role with bill but that rightness is not quite connected to his own sexual pleasure he has like a little bit of crisis over it at some point like he he says because he's like totally subby totally receptive total bottom blah 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 and but then at some point he's like yeah i would sort of like to come like when i'm when i'm with him because like you know that like i'm turned on too but then he's like yeah but that 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 would actually make it gay mm -hmm. <laughs> all this stuff is not you know um and uh you know like this is people get themselves tied up in knots like this you know and i think that like in some ways um i'm hoping that the book will connect to people who because like it I mean, yeah, whatever. I mean, I can say this stuff on record, you know, that, that like people color outside the lines, right? And so I feel like, you know, I've had, you know, like in periods like long before I ever transitioned, you know, like I had experiences with straight guys. Are they not straight? Are they bisexual? Therefore, you know, no, not really. I mean, I think they're straight, you know? I, I mean, I think that, you know, maybe, uh, you know we'll we'll see right but i i don't think that it's like i don't think that the experiences that we have are necessarily like always like deeply determining of identity and in some ways it's just like get free figure out what it means for you and whatever you need to do um well i'm i'm a very happy go lucky person but you know but uh that uh you know, assuming assuming you aren't excessively burdened by, I don't know, like a, a religious sense of sin or I, I don't know. People mm -hmm. have all kinds of hangups. But um, but that was um, I'm, I'm lost. I'm lost. Uh -huh. <laughs> we got it. We got it. We got we to gotta get another question. Okay. Get another question. I, I think um, the the realization that I had am having um, with regard to this sort of train of thought it has to do with like the hey, just because you kissed a dude once doesn't necessarily make you gay. Like, putting on a dress doesn't mean you're trans. You're just, like, wearing a dress to see what it feels like. Um, and I don't know. I'd, it's a useless, or useful, definitely useful thing to, like, see in in literature um, that could be out there more, but this is my first time encountering it. Um well, I guess actually I want to say that there's a good reason why it isn't out there very much. And this is an area of slight irresponsibility in Daryl, but, you know, I think that I kind of have artistic license to like go and do these things. But I think that one of the issues is that just logically, 
if you say that people can do kind of trans stuff and then not transition and be happy, then at some level, you're kind of saying that there are people who have transitioned and maybe they could have done otherwise. Mm. And man, nobody wants to hear that one, right? Yeah. Because that's exactly what a transphobic society is telling you at all times. And so I think that in a way, it's actually very hard to be free as an artist around these topics because people are legitimately protective of a sense of personal necessity. Mm-hmm. And so to me, what I think needs to happen is that we need to live in a world where people are materially capable of, of transitioning and free to transition in a real way, as in not just you can do it, not just you can get the medicine, but you can actually live a realized life. You can be a human being who is not consumed entirely by your transness. And that you can, when you can do that and that feels secure, then I think you will see a huge flowering of ideas about gender, which in some sense are entrammeled right now by the difficulty of like, okay, well, we can get really, really free, but now tomorrow I've got to go talk to a psychiatrist who's got to renew my meds or something. You know, mm-hmm. I've got to get recommended to have some surgery or something like that. And this is heavy shit. Um, and so in some sense, it's like, you know, the conversation about transness is not a free conversation. Um, and I think that what I wanted to emphasize in this is that like, in my view, there are deep forms of necessity that are not necessarily the same as medical psychological necessity. Um, It's not always the same as if you don't do this, then I will necessarily end up killing myself. Well, you know, like that, that's, um, that is important. But, but, you know, like people kill themselves over all kinds of things and it's, it's horrible, you know, it's, we, we, and, and I think that like, um, one of the things that they do it over is uh, religious conversion, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, to feel, you know, to to people decide that their answer, you know, to, you know, how does it feel to be outside of the church? You know, how does it feel to have no answer to what think ye of Christ is actually difficult, you know, and, and that that is um, maybe religious conversion is another model, you know, that we can work with. Um, and I find it actually that that model is you know, better for art, worse for politics. Right? Hmm. And, and uh, we're, we're a little bit stuck uh, in, in that particular domain. Um, but, but yeah, like, so, like, so Daryl, you know, like he has these kind of like inner currents that are incredibly determining and they do threaten his life and they do change his life and they blow up his marriage and all of his money and all of his relationships with people. Um, and so like, that's a big enough problem that's worth dealing with, you know, like however you want to deal with it and how he wants to deal with it is not transitioning, but he's, he's going to do something else. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm not sure if there's something else that he does really works, but you know, but he's going to do something else. Um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, but I, I think that that's like, to me that the, the sort of the, the unfreedom of the conversation is the really kind of like elephant in the room and I don't write very directly about politics, but if I was writing about politics, that's kind of what I would want to say. I would say like, you know, the reason that, you know, trans literature sometimes feels limited to a mode, which is like, I'm justifying myself. I was a sad cocoon and now I'm a beautiful butterfly. Can't you see that I always wanted this and I always hated being any other way, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, people can can do that that narrative and it's like, and, and there's a truth to it, right? But But at the same time, the thing that would set trans literature free would be uh, trans people not being poor anymore yeah. and trans people not feeling like 
Um, they've got to do a fucking song and dance uh, to doctors, psychiatrists, and bureaucrats uh, just in order to live our lives. And, and when that changes, um, then I think that you will see uh, some really weird shit. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it. Like, I hope I, I hope I live to see it, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm right there with you on that. I think from my position, it's it's kind of easy to just point at like, what if sexual orientation was you asked a person if they wanted to have sex with you and they either said yes or no. Like, and like, and that's it. Amazing. And then we're yeah. good. But like, we're a million miles away from that. And I'm married in a monogamous relationship. So like, you know, it's very useless for me to say that with any seriousness in any sort of public setting because like, yeah, that'd be great, Joe. Make it happen. <laughs> Well, but I, I actually think that it is useful to say things like that. And, you know, and this is actually why, I mean, Daryl says things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that he's right. And it's a, it's a position that I agree with. And I think that what drags us into the kind of like the more politicized identity um, is also, it's also real. And I think that, you know, the, the danger of it is always that if we lack perspective on the situation, it's very easy to sort of say that in kind of like a too flippant way. Right to say, ah, why do you need gay identity? You can all just find each other. Mm-hmm. There's a few reasons that, that we might need it. Um, uh, you know, even at this late hour, we might need it. Um, likewise, you know, trans identity, and, and some of it has to do with the fact that the ability to transition is uh, involves navigating a medical bureaucracy for the majority of trans people, um, and maybe because, like, we are sort of an express topic of you know something to eliminate, whether you're a Catholic or a conservative or what have you. Um, like, you know, we have a lot of enemies in this world who are very well organized and unfortunately it's necessary to be well organized in response. Um, but I, and then maybe I would say even further, there's not only like a defensive, like this, I'm, I'm describing like a defensive concept of identity formation. And I feel kind of almost like a, you know, like a, uh, like a, like a political realist or something like that. Like, well, you're going to have to have a state because there's other states and right. those states exist in a state of anarchy. And so what the hell are you going to do? Let's get Hobbesian. Right. And I, I don't, but I don't only have a Hobbesian concept of identity. Um, I do think that there are, you know, real and very bright affinities that we can find with other people that to me are so important, but I don't know that they actually follow the identity lines that we have very exactly. Um, like it's actually, um, you know, I can give a funny example of this. Um, you know, I've seen a bunch of like really kind of moderately cancelable shit on this on this this podcast. So, um, you know, but uh, it's fine. Like, you know, recently there have been a bunch of incidents of like race faking academics. You know, I think mm. about this a lot. Um, you know, um, Rachel Dolezal or Jess Krug, La Bombalera. Um, uh, there's a few others. It's, it's pointless to to drag their names into it. Um, but, um, you know, it's like, why do they do that? And it's so fucked up and it's like very easy to mock. Um, and, but the thing about it is like, what is the problem with what they're doing? Well, the problem with what they're doing is partly that they're being fake. Okay. But it's actually, it's not the authenticity. It's the attitude because the attitude of these people actually is that they've, they've managed to find like the one place where that identity is something which gives you a kind of like impunity uh, to behave in a very kind of like belligerent way with everybody around you. And it makes you a person who's a super authoritative voice, 
who can lecture people, who can actually be spectacularly cruel to people, or whatever. Um, but the problem is that, you know, the, the problem is, is actually what you do with it. Mm -hmm. And and you can really see it because actually if people want to pretend to be black, it's like if you just had to choose a random black person to be and you didn't get to choose which one, mm. say, oh, yeah, you can be black tomorrow, but you might not be a professor. Not a lot of people would would uh, would choose to, to black it up at that point. Um, right. Because they would recognize the reality of the world that we, we actually live in. Uh, wouldn't that be nice? But like but that. Um, but that, that that question of like, is it about impunity or is it about authenticity? It, it sort of reminded me of the fact that I was like, okay, well, if it's about how people act, oh wait, whoops, like there's plenty of people who really are black that act the same, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I have a problem with those people too, right? Because my problem is not whether a person actually fits in the identity lines, but it's whether a person is saying something that makes sense to me, uh, whether a person is saying something that connects, whether a person is, you know, meeting me where I am, maybe challenging me, maybe telling me I'm horribly wrong about everything, but like, okay, well, let me give me, give me, give me some kind of a chance to adjust to that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, or if you're my enemy, um, say that, be, you know, get in the fight against me and I'll, I'll respond, you know, accordingly, I guess I'll have to. Um, but, but, you know, looking at that, you know, like I think that the trans identity, uh, wow, well, this is, you know, according to, to Frank Wilderson, you kind of compare these things, but, you know, but like uh, the, the, uh, uh, but according to his wife, I can do whatever I want. So um, the, um, there's a sense that trans identity is, is, is quite like, um, not exactly the line that, that I always want to draw. And I always feel like, you know, a lot of my people are not necessarily trans women or trans men or non-binary or whatever and a lot of my people are never going to put a, a word to what they are you know um and it's somehow it's more like i don't know like i've, I've had the, the the luck the privilege whatever to be able to articulate a point of view that i think is you know accessible and i think is like truly stated and so i i think my people can find me and I, I, I really hope that happens. Um, and I'm starting to see it happen. Like one of the things that really makes me smile, like when I wrote this, like I was in a kind of marginal trans literature space. You know, my book contains like this huge reference to Imogen Vinnie's Nevada. Great book. But you know, like when I, my opinion was that nobody would ever read me who hadn't read Imogen. Mm. How wrong I was. My opinion was that everybody who read this book was going to be a trans literature person who was going to get all the jokes about that, you know, and it was like, no, not really. Um, in fact, this is a book that has reached men, that has reached women, that has reached people that are like, ah, oh, my husband is into that, has reached people that are like, you know, I'm into that. And it has reached people who are like, more like what you're saying, I'm not into that but I connect to the thought, you know, I connect to the soul of this guy and, you know, like, and I want to, I want to talk about that, you know, and, and that's, that's really the hope is that, you know, it's, it's not particularly down to, to uh, anyway, um, incoming, incoming accusations of, I, I don't know what ideology I just expressed. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to be called a Rordian or something like that, but, you know, um, Cornell West is a Rordian. I think that was his advisor. So. Hmm. I, um, I feel that, uh, I, I'm feeling what you're saying. I, I think 
one of my problems is I, I read Max Stirner way too early in my philosophical development. So I have this like, you know, I am, I am me sort of like pound the lectern sort of thing. And you, you don't get to say what I am sort of thing. Um, that I sort of like wish upon other people. Like I wish them the ability to do that, but also like understanding the sort of thing. I, what makes Daryl so successful to me, I think, is the fact that it is, um, like, at its heart, like, an empathetic telling. Like, it says so on the back of the book. Who who wrote that in the blurb? Oh, it just says, with empathy, humor. With empathy and humor. So, um, but, like, that's, you know. I actually wrote that. Did you? Well, <laughs> there you know, go. Yeah, because I, I had a blurb that, that was sent to me, and I was like, ah, this is bogus. This is bogus. <laughs> Let me tell you how it should be. Good. This is what I would write if I was you. I like it. I, I, I appreciate that a whole bunch. But like the <laughs> one of the jokes I used to make is that my philosophy is that the that the intersection of Dogen and Max Stirner, and I don't actually know what that is, but like that idea of like there there is no difference cosmically between any of us, but also we are radically unique in our own, um, and like marrying those ideas. Um, and letting them coexist as simultaneously true is um, something that I try to like frame my viewing of the world. Um, but what what makes Daryl useful to me and entertaining and successful as a novel is the empathy that it has for so many of the characters, even if... Um, you know, Daryl doesn't think very highly of them or doesn't treat them very well sort of thing. Um, just like, I feel like I came away from it learning something, even if I couldn't like bullet point, you know, the things that I learned. And, you know, Sea Witch was the same way and No Tiger was the same way that like I came away kind of with the, with like a different, you know, way of, of viewing experience that, um, you know, was almost impossible to consider really for me before. Um, and I also kind of like, don't know how I feel about that in and of itself, because like the idea of intended audience, which you were getting at before is, you know, something that, I have to think about too. Um, I don't know. Did you watch the the new Bo Burnham special at all? I haven't. Okay. I'm, I'm hung up on you mentioning Dogen. I, I really would love to talk to you about that. Okay. But I, I've, I've heard it's good. I don't know. What, what, what I haven't read I, I, the the Bo Burnham thing. There's just a one of the songs he does on very early is he talks about how the world is complicated in the first verse. You know, everything has to work together, the bees and the flowers and the birds and the trees and every all everything works together. And that's how the world works. And he pulls out a sock puppet and the sock puppet's like, don't you know the world is based on like genocide and blood and, you know, like class struggle and all this stuff. And he's like, wow, Sako, that's pretty tough. Like, what can I do to help? And Sako's like, read a fucking book. <laughs> don't burden me with having to teach you it's exhausting and he's like well i'm just trying to become a better person and he says what is it with you white guys trying to make every social issue or viewing every social issue through the myopic lens of your own self-actualization like 
can you just help or not? And, you know, a more toned down version of that is something I try to like continually catch myself with. Um, and maybe that's to my own detriment too. Well, let me tell you, it's not just white guys that have that problem. Mm -hmm. um, although I, apparently I, I must have, I must have a lot in common with white guys. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like writing about them, but, um, you know, well, it's white boy summer, so I can just do this. Right. Yeah. But like, I, I had a former life where, you know, like I was a mathematician and I had to think about this a lot because it was like, I often had this idea where I was like, oh, like petitions, like intervene and save the world as mathematicians. And there are actually like a couple of things that, that, that we, or at this point they can do because I'm, I'm, I'm out of the game, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, but, um, but you know, I used to ball a little bit, you know, and, and like, but so I would have these questions where it's like, oh, like maybe I should be doing like, you know, kind of like quantitative activism basically. Mm. And I thought about that for a long time and I tried doing, you know, various forms of it. Um, and I got involved in a lot of projects that I think of as in retrospect, like kind of a little bit bogus, like things having to do with like really trying to like quantify, like what do we mean by fairness? I worked, I worked a little bit on the AI fairness kind of questions. Mm. And like, like the thing about it is it's like my mistake, my arrogance was to imagine that the world is asking of me of me something as a mathematician rather than as a human being, mm. right? And that there was a time where it was like, maybe the only thing that you are asking of me is that I show up and it's like, you know what you've got that we need? Another body in the fucking courtroom because we're doing court support and there are not that many people that actually show up to do court support. Um, you got some money in your bank account, maybe you could help us out with a little bit of that. And like, you know, you could help the movement doing whatever the fuck your job happens to be. Um, and I think that there's a feeling that people have that, you know, like we want to, we want to bring all of ourselves to it. And it's worth taking that, that seriously that, you know, like, because we can humble ourselves, but only so much. And I think that ultimately, if we really feel that we're betraying ourselves to do the right thing, most of us will fall for, will fall from that path. Um, and certainly that's been a pattern for me is that I kind of have these like boom bust cycles where I'm just like, aha, I'm going to save the world with math and writing novels. And then I'll be like, okay, no, 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 I just need to be, be humble and show up and just accept that, like the kind of like a more egoless kind of, uh, interaction, but then the ego comes up and what it does is it distracts me and it says, well, here is the real center of yourself, which is far from the work that you're trying to do. Um, and so in that sense, like, I think that maybe um, it's very interesting that you like, you know, Dogen and Sterner together, because I think that, you know, there is a kind of like a sort of a perennial sort of nature of, of the, the ego's concerns, um, that it will keep coming back, it will keep destabilizing you, and that somehow being honest about that means that you're sort of taking your whole self along for the ride. As I always do, I, I'm just going to start with page one because I feel that maybe if somebody listened to this, they don't know what the book is. So, I'm, you know, so here's chapter one, LeBron. You live vicariously through celebrities. I live vicariously through the guys who fuck my wife. For sure. Okay, I'm the weird one. Well, let me ask you this. Do you watch sports at all? I could ask what's the point if you aren't the one playing, but it's not exactly a fair question, is it? See, now I think about a lot, a lot about LeBron James. 
I could imagine his NBA rings on the bedside table next to Mindy's wedding ring and these little antique porcelain ashtrays that Mindy's mom gave us for our wedding. I bet he's got a great grip and big hands that move decisively, touch with no tickle, no trepidation, no contingency plan, just going to exactly the right place and going straight there. That's basketball. I'm sure he's all around athletic, but for some reason, I specifically imagine his hands moving Mindy around six foot eight, God. But look, I know as well as you, that's just a fantasy. And even in a fantasy, I mostly try to keep this stuff confined to people confirmed to be in the lifestyle, which I'm pretty sure he isn't. Because it's a little objectifying, you know? Like, I try to be right by people. He's a professional athlete. He's focused on the game, focused on, I don't know, his own family, probably, his own problems, or maybe just his own fun. I'm just saying that he's got a life. He isn't just there for me to look at. But just because a guy can fuck my wife doesn't mean he wants to. It was a hard lesson for me to learn, actually. But I'm glad I thought it through. Because I really don't want to project too much on the guy. It's bad enough that everybody wants to compare him to Michael Jordan. Oh, by the way, I don't want to start an argument about this stuff. But I do think he's better. And you know what? Even if he isn't a better player, I like him better. Jordan always gave me the willies. All I'm saying is I'd never write a fan letter asking him to come meet us after a game like, Dear LeBron. I want to see your strong, perfect hands gripping my wife, palming practically her entire body, goes on from there. I want her to have your baby, love Daryl. I'd never write that. I'd write sincerely. Okay, that's chapter one. Um, and uh, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, he, um, he meets his therapist, uh, Clive. Um, who has a, a few kind of, uh, uh, the, you'll learn many surprises about Clive as the book goes on. Um, and uh, so here we go. This chapter is called British. Um, Clive is not British, uh, he's Dutch, but he's believed to be British at this point because he's, you know, he's internationally educated. So that's just sort of the English that people speak. Um, British. Couples therapy was really weird. It felt like Clive and Mindy were having a conversation I wasn't in on. He weirdly suggested that he'd like to watch me and Mindy have sex. He's kind of an alternative guy. Somatic was the word he used. It was hard for me. He made eye contact with Mindy the whole time, scribbled in his notebook, and left. Is he even a real therapist? And I guess I saw the diploma. Mindy says insurance is paying for it. She handles the money, so I don't know. But still, how embarrassing. I don't see how it really fixes any of my problems. Well, maybe it doesn't have to. It's a helping relationship, right? That's enough. Before leaving, he gave us both massages, which I did think was a nice touch. Really strong hands. Is this how they do things in merry old England? I keep forgetting to ask where he's actually from. Mindy seemed to think he was great, so we'll do another session. But there's a moment I can't get out of my head. From when we were having sex, but just as I was about to come, Clive looked up from his notebook and shook his head at me, like I was doing something I shouldn't be doing. What the hell? I'm not that bad at this. Why would he do that? I thought the whole point of therapist was to be non-judgmental. I read Carl Rogers in college. I read this stuff. Therapy shouldn't just be a British guy who looks like my dad making fun of how I have sex. Frankly, I'm a little bit steamed. And even though it's similar in a way to the cuckolding scenes that we've done before, uh, now apparently in spite of the sober thing, he wants to give us some drug that makes us more open-hearted. That's the third session? Okay. Um, and... Uh, so they, they do a bit of uh, couples therapy with Clive. Um, and the relationship comes to change in many ways. Um, I want to read a section that I rarely read out, but I just because we talked about it, which is the sort of March Madness uh, section. 
So just to give like a kind of a, a shape of the story, you know, um, Daryl's wife, Mindy, has a lover named Bill, um, who Daryl is a little bit in love with. And he um, begins to explore that sort of midway through the book. Um, and at this point, Daryl has not realized that very much, um, but he's going to give it a shot. Uh, and this, this chapter is called March Madness One. Um, I really regret having using numbers in my chapter names. Actually, that's one thing I would love to change. I have a kit one, kit two. It could have been kit and caboodle and like probably March Madness. I could have just had three words for madness or something. Um, but okay, here's March Madness one, uh, definitely at the mouth of it. Um, I went over to Bill's last night for the game. I was dressed a little different than usual in a way I want to describe. It was kind of my usual outfit, but a little more relaxed, letting my body show just imperceptibly more through the clothes. I also shaved my arms, which had a subtle, but for me, tremendous effect. I don't know why that works so much magic for me. It's not like I was ever a hairy guy, but I think it's similar to the way a room turns bright after you sweep the floor, even if it wasn't that dirty to begin with. I can't tell if they saw. There were some awkward moments, like when I asked Bill if he wanted another beer, I felt like all of his buddies were looking at me, maybe because I didn't ask them. Room full of guys, I should have said, I'm getting another beer, anybody want one? Instead, I said, looking dry, Bill, want another? Uh, sure, Daryl, I may as well have brought it to him on my knees. And when I sat down next to him on the long couch, I also, I felt their eyes. We bought him that couch and it's out of place here, too bright and new, lotion smooth like my arms. It isn't expensive, but it looks expensive compared to what's around, the dinginess of this place. I could have sat a few man widths away if I thought about it, but I sat down right next to him, not even thinking about it, just the two of us on the left edge of the couch. Scooting away seems weirder. When I left the room, I heard a bit of conversation. He's a faggot, bro. Then Bill's voice, come on, man. Girl's my friend. I'm really glad to have a friend like Bill. And I wonder about some of these other guys, how repressed or whatever it is they are. And what does it mean that Bill's their friend? I started to feel like it would look weird if I stayed past everyone else. So I, I left just at the end of the game saying I had to get home to my wife. I said it very loud like that. I stressed it, my wife. I said, let me know if you're still hanging out later. I might be around very nonchalant and left, feeling the eyes again. I consider this kind of a failed experiment, but I'm not giving up, just thinking about it. Like, I almost think those guys would have been nicer to me if I was wearing the Christmas dress. I don't want to embarrass Bill. Obviously, he's competent. He can take it. But I don't want to drag him through anything on my account. I basically don't belong in his world, and I've got to remember that. I don't know. Maybe he'll say he can deal with it. And then at some point, there's a breaking point, and he falls out with his friends, and he blames me for losing them. Even if he thinks he can deal with that, he can't plan for how it'll feel, so I can't let it happen. See, what's scary to me is that I can step out just a little ways out, like shaving my arms or wearing a tighter T-shirt, and it's already too much for the boys. But at the same time for Bill, I don't think it's anywhere near enough. He told me that when he's getting a blowjob, he doesn't really care who's doing it. That's cool, but I want him to be able to open his eyes. I want him to see me and feel turned on. I want him to love me. I guess I never admitted that before. I don't know. I, I, I don't think he's going to, but I'm gonna find out. I wonder if a gay guy would. Probably, but now I feel a bit like Bill myself. Or I feel like those old-fashioned gay guys I used to read about. They'd say, I don't, I don't want another queen, honey. I need a man. Luthun is like that, too. I always feel like she's putting on toughness. She doesn't really want it like that, whatever she says. She says a lot about how people were more uninhibited and rougher back in the old days. And 
talks like she wants to live that way. But I think that she's got, uh, that I've got more experience with rough guys than she does. Is she just chicken? Sounds like she mostly lives in some kind of a lesbian world with other trans women. Whatever it is, I'm beginning to think nobody wants a faggot, not even me. But I'm a faggot and I'm not even gay. It's hell. But hold on. It's not hell. This is something good I got from Clive in spite of his psycho vampire shit. You got to read the book to understand what that is. I need to break out some of these thought loops. I get to feeling so doomed when the smallest thing goes wrong. I took a little step today and it didn't all go how I planned, but I don't want to write it off. Nothing that was worth it, worth it ever worked right away. Shaving my body hair makes sense. I'll bet I could soften my body in other ways without setting off everybody's bells. Just keep it subtle. I've been talking to Uthun about this and she suggested I could do my eyebrows, my nails, tighter clothes, subtle makeup. I don't know. It all sounds like too much. I feel like she's trying to convince me to be trans, which kind of pisses me off. Like she has this script for how people are supposed to develop. We're all supposed to come out, right? It's a very one size fits all. It's all got all the subtlety of Alcoholics Anonymous. Admit your powerlessness.